Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord the king. The king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor? From the wine press? Then he asked her, What's the matter? She answered, This woman said to me, Give up your son so we may eat him today, and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, Give up your son so we may eat him. She had hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. As he went along the wall, the people looked, and there, underneath, he had sackcloth on his body. He said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Saphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him? While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him. And the king said, This disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time time tomorrow, a seer of flour will sell for a shekel, and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer, on whose arm the king was leaning, said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance to the city gate. And they said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say, We'll go into the city, the famine is there and we'll die. If we stay here, we'll die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they had said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank, carried away silver, gold and clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent, and also took some things from it and hid them as well. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overcome us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. 
So they went out and called to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp, and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone. Only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I'll tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we're starving, so they've left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they'll surely come out and then we can take them alive and get the city. One of his officers answered, Have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all those Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happened. So they selected two chariots with their horses, and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, Go and find out what has happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a seer of flour sold for a shekel, and two seers of barley sold for a shekel, just as the Lord had said. Now the king had put the officer on, on whose arm he lent in charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died, just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house. It happened as the man of God had said to the king, About this time tomorrow, a seer of flour will sell for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer had said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? The man of God had replied, You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And that is exactly what happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together this evening. Lord, we're coming out of our different situations, uh, our different circumstances and things we're concerned about. We're taking this time, we've come together for this hour or so, and we've come to focus our eyes again on you, to look to you, to listen to your voice, to be encouraged, to be nurtured, to grow in our faith. This is what we want to do this evening, Lord, through the worship or through the prayers, through the word, your wonderful word. And Lord, we pray that we will open our hearts this evening and our ears and hear what you have to say to us. We may, there may be something different for each one of us, but Lord, may we have hearts and ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing in our lives today and in the lives of our churches. Amen. Amen. So this last part from um, 2 Kings chapter 6, 24 to the end of chapter 7, fascinating story in the Old Testament. I love these stories. I love to tell these stories. I love to look at these stories because so often, as Maria said, um, you know, we look at the New Testament and we can gain encouragement from that, of course. And somehow they do seem a bit irrelevant to us in the Old Testament. So it's always good to go back and to learn and see what God might say to us. Because they're in here for a purpose. This is God's word. He speaks to us. He's given the whole lot to us. So whether we understand it all uh, or not, 
Um, He has given it to us, and he, by the power of his Holy Spirit, will speak to us. And from this story this evening, I want us to understand a little bit more of God's sovereignty. He knows what's going to happen, always. We're in his hands. Everything's in his hands. But I want us to look at our responsibility as his partners to work with him and for him to bring things about. He doesn't have to use us. He's God. He can do anything. But today, especially in the context of evangelism, I'd like us to think about those things, his sovereignty and our human responsibility. So just let's look back on this rather uh, complicated, perhaps, story and the context. And we're going to look at inside and outside of Samaria. We have a desperate Situation. This is about 850 BC. Inside the city, we see this Jewish city of Samaria is under siege. The king of Aram, Ben-Hadad is his name, and Aram is in central Syria, so it's all very topical. He's got his army camped outside the city. There's no food getting in. The people are starving. It's a desperate, desperate situation. And the people inside the city need rescuing. Prices are high, as we heard read. A donkey's head was worth 80 shekels, we read, about a kilogram of silver. A donkey's head. I mean, donkeys, I mean, heads of donkeys aren't very palatable. I mean, it's all bone for a start off. And donkeys are unclean animals. So they had to be desperate. And the saddest thing is that the people were turning to cannibalism. And that awful story where the king's walking by and the woman says to him, help us, help me, my lord, the king, she says. And, and he said, well, what can I do for you? And, and she said, well, this woman had said to her, you know, give up your son, we'll eat him. Oh. And then the next day, you know, we'll eat my son. So the woman goes along with this awful thing. And then, of course, the other woman says, no, we're not, didn't do it. And she she hid her son. So what a desperate situation. And the king, King Jehoram, he sees this and he weeps in despair. Absolutely weeping in despair at what's happening in his city. And in fact, he gets a bit fed up with God and he says, in, uh, a bit later on, he says, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? I mean, it's absolutely desperate uh, in, in that city. But outside the city, we have the enemy. Plenty of provisions. They're okay. They don't mind how long they're camped out for. They're just waiting. They're just waiting for people in the city to either surrender or die of starvation. So that's the situation. And into this situation, we have, firstly, Elisha. I love the prophets. One of my favorite things when I was at at Bible college and when I was was doing my studies were were the prophets. I love the prophetic word of God. I love the prophecies. I love the way that God spoke into situations and then they happened. And all the prophecies about Jesus um, that came true, of course, and all the ones that have yet yet to be fulfilled, but will be because we've got the end of the book, haven't we? We know what happens. I just love the stories of the prophets, Elisha and Elijah and Isaiah. 
I, I think they're absolutely fascinating. And in fact, be, when I became a Christian, one of the things helping me to become a Christian uh, was the fact that, of the prophecies, that all the way through the Bible, God speaks and things come to be. It's all tied together. It's the most fascinating and wonderful book and an encourage, an aside, but an encouragement this evening to us all that we need to read it somehow. And to be honest, sometimes we can get a bit fed up with reading our Bibles. It can all seem a bit dry. If we've been Christians for years, you know, we, we, we can think, well, we've read it before. And, but find new ways of reading the Bible. Find ways where it's meaningful to you. You might have to do something different to what you've always done for it to be meaningful to you. And for me, too, I'm exactly the same. I have to try different ways of keeping it fresh. But into this horrific and desperate situation, we have Elisha and the word of the Lord. And the prophet Elisha, he wasn't terribly popular with, uh, with the king anyway. He said, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow. A sea of flour will sell for a shekel and two seas of, of, of barley will sell for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Basically, this time tomorrow, he says, he knows because he's heard from God because God knows. God's not surprised by this. Oh my goodness, what's happening? They're in a desperate situation in the city. This is awful. God's not surprised. He knows about situations. He knows about your situation this evening. He knows about any situation you're in. God is not unaware. Basically, Elisha's saying, the famine's going to end this time tomorrow. Food is going to be so plenteous that there's going to be bargain prices. No longer is it a donkey's head going to be 80 shekels or something. Bargain prices. So this is Elisha prophesying. The royal officer of the king, however, as we saw, he mocks Elisha and he doubts the power of God. And he said, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? And Elisha says, you will see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to eat any of it. So this was a very sober uh, warning and judgment on this man who mocked the word of the Lord. So into this situation, we have Elisha and the word of the Lord. And then we have these four lepers who God uses to do something about it. There's the human agents here. God sovereignly knew what was going to happen, that it was gonna, they're going to be rescued but here we have these lepers who are used by God. And you know, God can use anyone at any time for anything to bring about his purposes. Um, I don't know if you've um, caught up on the, the news about the outpouring of God's spirit in Cumbran in, in South Wales near Newport. I don't know if you have. But uh, on April the 10th of this year, uh, there was a situation where God suddenly broke through in power and hundreds of people have become Christians since April and many, many, many people have been healed. Some, God is certainly doing something there. You know, in days of old with the Welsh outpouring and Welsh revivals, God moved in power, did amazing things, and then it kind of all died out again. And don't we long for God to move sovereignly into our situations? Don't we long for... Well, I mean, I long for God to move in Horsham like that, for God to come and break through in power where everybody's really excited about God and where, you know, people are saying... 
were crawling to the doors of the churches and saying, what can I do to be saved? Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love to see a stirring and a movement of God's spirit? Well, I would. But in Wales, in this place, in Qumran, on April the 10th, there's a church called Victory Church. If you, if you don't know, there's a church called Victory Church there. And the, the, the lead pastor at the time was a, a chap called Richard Taylor. And this Richard Taylor, when he was a teenager, he was a drug addict. And he, he was caught by the police. He was, he was a thief. He was a drunkard. He was terrible. He'd had a bad family background, but he was um, a really, you know, not, not good at all. And he was in prison many times. And one time he was in prison, the chaplain spoke to him, and um, he, he met the Lord. And his life turned around. Because when you're really desperate like that, and when you're really bad, when you meet the Lord, your life completely turns around. And his life turned around, and he went to be helped in victory, a place called Victory Outreach. They, they helped ex-drug addicts and things. And then he went to Bible college, and then he um, he started this church. He worked up north. Then he started this church in uh, in Cumbram, near Newport. And it's just a building, just an ordinary building. It's just like a warehouse. And their particular ministry is reaching out to similar people to himself, people who've been in trouble, drug addicts, all these kind of things. And he he had he's he's got a really good ministry there, but. He wanted to see more. He wanted to see God moving in power. And actually, Richard Taylor, you might remember, because he had the book To Catch a Thief. He wrote the book To Catch a Thief. And also, um, he was on a program called To Catch a Thief on the television. He was helping people because he knew how to steal things and unlock doors and things. And um, so uh, he was on this television program telling people how to be careful that they wouldn't get broken into um, so you may remember that program. Some of you may remember that program. Anyway, one evening they, ha- they were having these prayer meetings on Wednesday evening, and he was getting really fed up because he only had, they only had 70 people one night. Wouldn't it be good if we had 70 people to our prayer meetings? Only 70 people one evening, and um, he, 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 in fact he was going to close those prayer meetings down because he wasn't get, getting the people coming along. And then he... Um, he felt to pray for people, for healing. Now, he'd done this before, and there was one particular man who'd been in a wheelchair for 10 years and couldn't move, and um, this chap had been prayed for many times before. He'd been in the church for 18 months. He'd been prayed for many times before, and uh, Richard prayed for him, and suddenly and instantly, this man was completely healed. He leapt out of the wheelchair and he got hold of the wheelchair, and he ran it and ran all around the room. He was so excited. And from that moment on, on April the 10th, there was a movement of the Spirit of God, and hundreds of people literally have come to Christ. You can look on the website. You can see it. I actually went there uh, a month or two ago uh, for two, two evening sessions because they hold them every night now except Sunday evenings and Friday evenings. And it is an ordinary place with ordinary people. In fact... They are people, the pastors and the, ser- the people who serve and the people who help, they're all people who, to be honest, most of them have either been in prison, have been drug addicts, have um, just know what it's like to be completely outside of the will of God. 
and they've met Jesus and they've totally turned around. So it's so refreshing to go there. It's such a, it's a dark place. It's, a, it's just an ordinary place, but God is moving in power. God is doing something amazing in that place. And they would say, and the pastors would say, they'd been in prison 10 years before, and now they are teaching people, and it's wonderful and the, because there's an anointing on them. So exciting, so exciting to see God using ordinary people. Here he uses the lepers. Um, the lepers, you know, leprosy, you, you've heard about the leprosy mission. The disease of leprosy is awful. They weren't allowed in the city gates. They had to be uh, outside all the time. They had to have an outer garment torn, uh, you know, as a sign of deep grief. They had to go bareheaded. They had to warn people of themselves, unclean, unclean. They weren't allowed to speak to anyone or receive any greeting because this would involve an embrace. The, le- the leper was cut off from the house of God, was excluded from the priesthood. They lived shameful, segregated, and separated lives. They were alive, but they were dead. And you know, can you imagine how awful it must be to be in a situation like that where you were so ostracized and you were out, you couldn't even greet people with a hug. But here were these lepers. And they said, okay, well, if we stay here, we're going to die. Um, if we go out there, we'll probably get killed and die, but we haven't got a choice. Uh, you, what can we do? We might as well go and take the chance. And so we read it thus. They got up, went to the camp of the Arameans. They go to the camp, but there's no one there, as we read, because God had organized it so the Arameans would hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, and they all fled, and they abandoned everything, and they deserted everything. So the lepers go to the camp, and they find no army there, no enemy there. They find food and drink and riches beyond their wildest imaginings. Can you, can you imagine how it must have been for them? They found the plunder of the Syrians. Here they were, lepers, outcast from society, just begging for handouts up to now. And they went to discovering silver and gold. A bit of a parallel here from our desperate situation without God to the riches of Christ, the riches that we have in him. And if, if, if those of us who, are, who know Jesus here this evening, we know that we, we were at a point when we had nothing. We might have had lots of worldly goods. We might have had successful careers. We might have been very intelligent. We might have had, but without Christ, we had no hope of eternal life, no salvation. And then when we found Christ, we discovered the riches that he can give to us. And, they rec- and for them, they recognized their dire situation. They, they went and did something about it. And they got a bit greedy at first, and they were just probably stuffing everything. And, you know, just, I mean, they were, their mind was blown. They, 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 were, they were eating and probably and drinking, and they were, they were so excited. And they, they took some of the things from the tent, it says, and, and then they hid some. But then, key verse, this is what they said to each other. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait till daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. 
So they went and called the gatekeepers. They said, look, the army's gone. Look at all this. No one's here. And the king got told and he sent out people just to check it out because he wasn't sure at first it seemed too good to be true. And they went and plundered the camp and they got the food. So in the end, a sea of flour sold for a shekel, not really expensive as it was before. Two seers of barley sold for a shekel, just as the Lord has said. Whatever the Lord says will always come about. And you remember Elisha said um, to, to that man, he said, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you won't eat, it, eat any of it. And at the end of that, that story, it, it says, and that's exactly what happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gateway and he died. A very sober thing, isn't it? He mocked the word of the Lord. And we must be very careful not to mock the word of the Lord. And those who despise the word of the Lord have to be very, very careful, I think. Not that everyone's going to get trampled in the doorways and die because of that, but it's just a little warning for us. So then, in this story, let's remind ourselves again that God knew about this terrible situation. He knew sovereignly that they were going to be rescued. The prophetic word is, of course, accurate. But it needed the lepers who having discovered the goodies to take responsibility and to share what they had received from themselves. Prophecy, again, God knows the beginning from the end. In Qumran, two years before, there had been some prophetic words about God going to do a new thing in Wales, that there would be an outpouring two years before, and that was recorded, and you can hear that on a, on a tape as well. Um, God knew. He knew he was going to do it, but it took people like Richard Taylor and other people to step out in faith and pray for that person, for example, to be willing to share their lives with other uh, people who've been in terrible situations like that. He needs human. He needs us. He needs you and me. We have the good news. We, we have the good news. We know what it is to know Jesus. We know what it is to be saved. We know that about the riches and the, glo- the, the wonderful things that God has for us, not just when we die and go to heaven, but now, even now, we have that, and we have to share it. God wants to partner us. He wants to partner you. Jesus said that the Gospels will will be taken to the end of the earth, but he needs us to do it. I mean, he could do it by himself, but he chooses to partner us. So in your workplaces, in your school, in your situations, God wants to use you. You're a missionary wherever you are and wherever you go. In your families, your your mission, not always, people are, are not always going to respond favorably in the way we would want to. When I became a Christian, I had vivid dreams of the Bible, and I got up early one morning and went two or three doors along to where a mi- I was in Japan and where the missionary girl was, and I knocked on her door, more or less saying, you know, how can I find this God? You know, that's the missionary's dream. It's not always going to happen like that. But that's not our responsibility. Our, res- our responsibility, we can't make anyone become a Christian. It's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to share what we know by our life and our lips. 
It's by saying and speaking what we know, and it's by living the kind of life where people will look at us and say, he, he's got something that I don't have. And, or she's got something that you know, I want in my life. And people need to look at you. And we, to, be, to be able to do that, we need to be empowered by the Spirit of God. We can't do it on our own because we let God down, don't we? Often. Oh, I do. We let God down. But, but I want to say again this evening to each one of us, and I really am including myself in this, this is our responsibility. This is our calling in life. This is our mission. We're, I'm an evangelist, but we're not all called to be evangelists. But we are all called, the Bible says, to give a reason for the hope that we have. And I want to encourage us this evening. I want to encourage you. This is the day of good news. It's still a day of good news. We mustn't keep it to ourselves, just like these lepers in that story. Romans 1 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you nervous about the gospel? Have you stopped believing in the gospel is it has it become a bit irrelevant to you are you going through a dry season where it's just not as real as it was maybe something's happened where you think hmm i want i don't really know if i do believe this after all whatever situation is today this is a reminder to all of us that this today is still a day of good news And if there is any, I don't know, well, I know most of you, but some of you I don't know. But if there's anyone here today who isn't a Christian, who you are hearing the good news today. I am sharing the good news today. This is my responsibility. This is today. You can respond. You can make sure that you know, you know this God. You can be like Richard Taylor and all the people and all the people, other people over the world who've met Jesus and had their lives totally turned around. Today is still a day of good news. You're alive today. You're still alive. You can still hear this good news. And you can still respond. In a moment, we're going to take bread and wine together, reminding ourselves that Jesus died on that cross so that we could have a relationship with our Father God restored. This is what it's all about. Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. That's what he came for. That's what he said he came for, to seek and to save the lost. He died that we might become children of God. To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of a natural father, but of God, John 1 tells us. So we align ourselves Once again, we remind ourselves of what he came to do. And when we take the bread and wine, when we receive that, then we're reminding ourselves and thanking God for our salvation. And then we're going out in the power of the Spirit to go and tell everyone else about this wonderful salvation. And may I remind you that he is not one God amongst many. He's not just a good person to follow sometimes. He's not just a person who you can believe or not believe. He's not just someone with good 
morals and the teaching's good and, you know, let's follow the teaching or let's follow some of it, but we'll leave the other bits. No, Jesus said, he's the, he said, I'm the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. He's the only way. He's the only way. Therefore, this message is really important. This good news is really important. And it's ours to share. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that even in this little Old Testament account, we have these lepers recognizing that they've got lots of goodies and Lots of they could they probably could have lived for the rest of their lives, and maybe the the people in the city wouldn't have realised, but they knew that they had to share the good news that they'd found, and we too, Lord, as we as we sing, as we take bread and wine, Lord, help us to be grateful for the salvation that you've given us. If there's anyone here this evening who ha- who doesn't yet know you, may they come to the cross today and say Jesus yes I want to believe in you and father then help us to go out in the power of your spirit and share what we know amen just to say I was delighted because my my grandchildren of course I'm always telling them they come to our messy church usually once a month and I'm always telling them about Jesus and but it'd be very easy they're seven and five so it would be very easy to kind of you know, encourage them, uh, or put pressure on them. But I, but I haven't done. But yes, they stayed the weekend with me. And yesterday, um, they said to me in the morning, the little one said, first of all, he said, he said, Nanny, he said, um, last night I invited Jesus into my heart and I told him that I loved him. <laughs> that was so precious to me. And his brother had done the same. So they'd obviously after I'd prayed with them at night, when they were in bed, they'd obviously done that. Now, that thrilled my heart, you know, thrilled my heart. Now, it's an initial kind of response to Jesus, and they may go away from God, but that initial response is is thrilling, and that's what we, we have to do. We have to share it. We have to share it.